It's coming in just under the wire. My singular November edition of the Worlds of M.W. Lewis. I haven't uh, recorded a podcast since the end of October, and I am here now. I'm back at it with uh, November coming to an end and the year rapidly coming to a close. I launched this podcast almost a year ago, and this will be about my 22nd, 23rd episode so far. So not bad. Not bad for year one. And I have like two listeners, so that's good. Uh, Making a lot of progress. So sorry I've been away from the podcasting. I haven't called into shows. I haven't done anything all month except run a few games. And I ran, uh, for most of the month, I ran a very complicated session or or adventure, I should say, of my Monday night AD&D game, which I got the idea from Jason uh, Connerly of Nerds uh, RPG Variety Cast to run a Halloween special. So I wrote one up, and I thought we'll finish it on Halloween night. And lo and behold, it took another session, and then a special Friday night session to wrap it up. So that was, it was very complicated. It took a lot of effort on my part, because a lot of undead, a lot of paralyzations, a lot of turning, lots of different things to manage. So uh, no, I never really was able to get to the podcasting. And, and most importantly, or, or distressingly, my work has been very complicated this month of November as the year comes to an end. And, uh, but I'm hoping I'll have a little more time in December to podcast. Um, I actually took off the entire week of Thanksgiving. So belated happy Thanksgiving to all my listeners who happen to reside in America and believe in colonialism. Uh, but I was unable to podcast because I was wrapping up a DIY project that's been ongoing uh, since earlier in the year. But I'm back at it. Here it is in this episode. In today's episode, or tonight's episode, I talk about ways to keep a long-running campaign fresh. And I provide a reading from Monday Night ad and I think it's a pretty good one. I'm trying to get us all caught up on that because the... M- the more concurrent sessions uh, or contemporaneous sessions, I should say, are even way better. So uh, with all of that, I'm not going to put a conclusion on. I'll let the jazz reverb take you out with some smooth, silky jazz, just like he brought us in. And I'll say it right now, my words of wisdom, make sure or be sure to explore the many worlds in your own mind. And with that, on with the show. So in this segment of today's show, I'm going to discuss keeping a long-running campaign fresh. Now, this is not a new topic. It's been written about uh, and discussed on various podcasts and video casts uh, for ages. Uh, it's, it's even covered in magazines, official magazines that are put out by the uh, gaming companies. Uh, So this is not novel. What you're about to hear today is nothing new or novel or groundbreaking, but I'm going to give my thoughts on the subject matter. Uh, So what I I think happens when you have a long-running campaign is one of the solutions is is baked right into the game. Uh, Characters die. So that, that helps keep the game fresh. Uh, But, you know, sometimes some of your players, their characters don't die. I mean, the attrition rate in 1E uh, is not really 100% over the course of a long campaign. Uh, 
sure, a, a number of the characters may may fail to make it out of the first three levels, but you're going to have a couple that will make it out. And once once you get past level three, then your chances of survival uh, start to grow. So what do you do for those players? They, they, they do get bored. Everyone gets bored. You know, you're playing a game for two and a half years. You've been playing the same magic user or fighter for that long. And you start to, you know, wonder what, what can you do? So as a DM, you're posed with a challenge. And a lot of DMs, know, you know, you can just start a new game. Let's just put this one aside and start something new. And that's certainly valid, and a lot of people do it. And uh, Or you just play a different game entirely. Let's just start playing, uh, hi, uh, I don't know, Hyperborea or a different version of D&D or Star Frontiers or, or one of the other really popular uh, role-playing games like Lord of the Rings. You could do that. But what if you're a DM who's really, uh, you know, dedicated to the world you're building and you want to stay in the world? I mean, you want to keep it fresh for your players, but you don't want to leave the world. You want to, you you know, there's other stories going on simultaneously with those players. Uh, other things happen, you know, your, your players aren't the only actors in the world. There's other things going on. Uh, so what I like to do and what I've been doing in my longer campaign is... We start second venture in the same exact world. And now that, that offers you plenty of opportunities. If you think about the popular television show, uh, Yellowstone, uh, now I say it's popular. I, I don't watch it, so I don't, I don't know if it's any good or not, but um, I'm sure it is, or some of you probably think it isn't. So I, I don't really care. It's not the point. The point is that that show was so successful but after three or four seasons, they realize that there's more to tell to the story. So in the same, uh, they created a, another series going back a hundred or so years. And then they created a, now they have a third series coming out, advancing the timeline. So you could do that in your campaign world. It, whether you're playing Greyhawk or um, Forgotten Realms or your own made up world, you could have alternative timelines let's go back in the past let's go into the future but some dms you may not want to do that 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 could take a lot of work you might have to rename things or create all new nobility or do more research so really the easiest thing to do is just plop down your pcs somewhere else in your world uh, on the same exact timeline as the current adventure and I think that was pretty common. That's kind of what they, the Gygax would do uh, way back with his groups and Arneson. They had, they had sort of characters come and go or explore different parts of the world separately. So this is not, as I warned you all, I warned you all, this was not novel, but I've done it. So I'm going to talk about how I did it recently and why I feel it is successful and it is easy to do. It's an easy way. Uh, it's, it's like adding salt I guess it's an easy way to keep the game fresh. You just pick up your salt uh, and put a little on your food and it has a different taste or a better taste or a stronger taste. And that's the, I mean, that's the simplest thing you can do to flavor your food is put salt on it. Now, if you want to get more creative and go back in time, go back into the future, create another world, go to a different continent, whatever you want to do, you know, that's, that's, you're pulling out the spice rack there and you got to do a little work, but I could just pick up the salt sprinkle it on my campaign and lo and behold we have three or four characters somewhere else at the same exact time frame 
doing something different. So the first time we did this is really because I bought uh, the module, I think it's N7 Treasure Hunt, which I talked about in depth in one of the very early episodes of this podcast. So anyway, um, well, we played it and uh, we played it with zero level characters because at the time we, we started playing it, we were having some trouble getting some of the other players to show up for Monday Night AD&D. So the myself and, and three of the other players were getting a little frustrated because we wanted to play. We cobbled out Monday night and that's the night we played. And when we had to cancel sessions, we didn't like it. So they rolled up zero level characters and we ran the module. Well, a year later, we played that game multiple times. And it's in the same world, same time frame. Some of the things that are impacting the main characters, uh, the same uh, factors can impact these new characters also, but in different ways, and they don't really know what's going on. Uh, now, I do have to say, I regret we haven't gotten back to that side adventure for since the spring, really, because we've had full houses on Monday Night AD&D all summer and all into the fall. So I know I can feel it, and it has been said to me that the, some of those players want to get back to that game. So the question is, if we have these other players who now are able to make it all the time, maybe we just have to add, give them characters. But recently, we scheduled a Tuesday night game, but only three players could make it. And I said, yeah, let's play. Let's, uh, I had an idea. I thought for two and a half years, I've been running a campaign for good heroes. Alignment, good or neutral at worst. No evils. And I started to get this idea because of something going on in the world that I've created. Uh, I figured all the, a lot of evil characters and people would be drawn to this event that was taking place. And I won't give all the details. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun to play three first-level characters, three or four, depending on how many people made it to that Tuesday night session. And we started the game with them looking for work as first levels and hoping to make it big in this new uh, growing kingdom of bad people. So that's what we did. We started the game. And I'll tell you, the players were, they enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. We, we've been running fourth through sixth level characters. Uh, you have to really do a lot to challenge them. First level characters, you forget after a while how dangerous the world is to them. And uh, just in the very first encounter, we only ran one encounter that day or that evening for the makeup session. Uh we started off in a tavern. I had them not knowing each other. So I made them role play out meeting each other. And then I had them become henchmen. So they were answered a call by a higher level character, NPC character, looking for a few henchmen to go north with him. So they answered the call and they were hired and they set out. And the way I ran it, I had nothing pre made for this adventure i had all the players alternatively roll to see if a they got lost because it was they're in the forest and it was cloud cloud covered and none of them are rangers or anything so i had them roll to see if they would uh deviate from a, a true northerly path uh then i would have them alternatively roll for the random monster encounters uh i think by the book right by the book which i think is six times a day something like that 
Uh, and then finally, when they finally rolled on uh, a random monster, I, I had them roll the percentile dice for the appropriate type of terrain and climate. And we played it out. And it happened to be owlbears. And I even had them roll the number of owlbears. And uh, the battle ensued, and it proved to be deadly. Two of the PCs fell in the battle. And it was very exciting, and nobody was upset. Uh, they had actually come to really enjoy these evil characters because the first hour and a half of the session was heavy role-playing to get the game going. And then the last hour and a half of the session was running this battle uh, in, in the, the trek north. Um, they, they were able to survive, though. The one did die. The one PC did die. The other one that fell dropped to about minus three hit points before their... Um, the higher level PC joined the fray. And the reason why he didn't join right away is he had four hellhounds because he's an evil character and I'm not going to say too much more about him. And he took time to untie the hellhounds and then run to the battle. And the hellhounds and the other, uh, there was another NPC henchman first level. So the one PC who did not fall in the battle, the NPC henchman who did not fall in the battle, and the four hellhounds were able to kill the, the owlbears. Uh, then uh, when the master of this little group, the uh, high-level NPC, made it into the scene, onto the scene to help fight, he saw that the one PC had fallen. The other one was already uh, beyond negative 10, so it had passed away. And he was able to administer a potion of healing and bring him back. I think, um, I can't remember now. I don't know if he brought him back to zero, stabilized, or actually rolled high enough to get him to like one or two hit points back. So we're going to pick that game up again in the future. Um, I can tell you it was a lot of fun. It, it really gave me a lot of energy just not running the set modules that we've been working through. Um, it also gave me energy running a simple encounter again uh, instead of these longer, more complicated encounters to try to challenge higher level PCs. And the higher the level of the characters, uh, the, the more challenging and the more complicated your encounters have to be. So uh, for, as a DM, it becomes a lot of work. You might have a lot of accounting to take uh, uh, to a to do during the battles. You might have to track uh, spell durations, uh, spell duration effects, paralyzations, effect, all kinds of effects that you have to track and monitor. But when you get down to these lower levels and it's just uh, roll for initiative, roll to hit, roll damage. It gets a lot easier and a lot more fun and the, the, the battles can, can go much faster. So it was a very invigorating session. And when we run the other session with the with the good characters, the other low-level good characters, those are fun too. So uh, we got to get back to them. We got to mix it up. So if you're running a long campaign, and I'm sure you already do this, you don't need to hear from MW, but if you don't, keep it fresh. Get away from those regular characters and that, those regular NPCs that you've been playing for months and, and try something new, um, especially if you don't want to do a new game. Like I don't. I don't want to jump into a game of Hyperborea or uh, some of the others, I, I, Lord of the Rings or Marvel Heroes. I don't want to play those games. I just want to play D&D. But even my D&D game needs to be freshened up from time to time. 
So uh, those are my thoughts for the day after Thanksgiving and just kind of keeping everyone informed of what's going on in my games. I hope you enjoyed the segment. And now a reading from Monday night, AD&D. <clears throat> when last I discussed this game with you, my intrepid listeners, the party had finished the Rahazia adventure and made their way south back to the keep on the borderland where they found the northern wall to the keep had been destroyed, scarred with burn marks, scorched we could say, and had been taken over by a nasty old red dragon named, named Trotsky. So the party, after much time in the woods trying to figure out what to do, ventured back to the keep. Because one of the original characters of the game, Halfdan Ragnarsson, still resided in the keep. Now his player in real life had been put on active duty and left our game, uh, but we had anticipated he would return at some point, but he was unable to. What Much to our regret, our collective regret, we really enjoyed playing with him. So we kept Half Dan uh, involved in the game as an NPC for a little bit longer. So the party went to the keep. And just to make a long story short, because this is not the session descriptions I wish to read to you today, uh, they retrieved Half Dan, but decided it was time to leave. All the familiar faces they knew from the keep were gone, and it seemed it was now being managed by hobgoblins, goblins, and worse. So the party was able to get in and get out with Half Dan. And a new companion, uh, and they another NPC, and they made their way south to Hoff to try to report on suspected human trafficking, which they had gathered information in the keep and figured that people were being taken as slaves. In the town of Hoff, the uh, authorities there uh, were interested, but a little disbelieving of this tall tale, and also felt there was not much they could do about it anyway. The party had brought with them uh, cases of wine that they had taken from the Rahazia module, and I won't say any more about that, and were able to sell several cases to, to, uh, uh, to increase their funds. And after a few days there, one of the party, Mariella, started to suspect the mayor's son might be in on the slaving operation. So they decided it'd be best for them to hire a boat and go even further south. Now, there's a river that runs alongside the keep on the borderland. I extended this river down to the southwest, and they hired a river pilot, Captain Quint. And they uh, resolved to have Captain Quint take them down the river to the White Sea, where there was a town called Dark Shelf. And across there, they could hire a boat and, and sail across to the uh, fifth large country in this world I built called Siglinga. And there they hoped they would be able to find help. So the story uh, picks up here the day the party met Captain Quint at the docks. And I will read several session descriptions here. Captain Quint and his crew of four awaited. He regaled the party with strange stories, which thoroughly confused Carl, but the old captain settled down soon enough. The first day on the water, 
Captain Quint only drank one bottle of scotch, and nothing much happened otherwise. But after the second day, during Carl and Harriet's watch, bad things happened. Now let me explain who Harriet is. She's a bodyguard for Carl that they picked up in Hoff. She took an interest in Carl immediately and asked to sign on with the adventurers, and they agreed to hire her. They also picked up a thief named Dayton and another character, a ranger named Findall, or um, I think he was a half-elf ranger magic user or something like that. These are two players. Now, the player playing Findall would leave the game after one session. He felt I was using too many of the rules as written. But Dayton would stay on for over a year and was a, a welcomed addition to our game. Uh, and we regretted to see him leave. Uh, and I, I believe he left in 2022. Um, back to the story. Orcs amassed along the riverbank, a good 10 feet above the anchored boat. A terrible missile battle ensued, and Carl took the brunt of the damage. Pegged by a crossbow bolt and two axes, the poor magic user required Voyas and his bodyguard to cover him with their shields. Oh, a note on Voyas. I met this uh, really fun and interesting and intelligent person on a writer's group because I am trying to get my book done. And I realized that he was a fantasy uh, junkie and he uh, agreed to join our game. He was also a former military person. And he played Voyas, the magic user. And he was in our game um, for about six or seven months, and we really enjoyed him. Uh, but sadly, in real life, he, uh, he he didn't make it. He was suffering from depression and other issues, and we learned. I had only known him online. I never met him in person. But we I learned through the grapevine that he had committed suicide, so that was very sad. But we enjoyed Voyas and David uh, while they were in the game. That's the that's the funny thing about D&D and playing online. You, you begin to meet people from all over uh, the place. Uh, Dayton, for instance, uh, I believe his character lived all the way out and lives all the way out in Arizona. So and, and we would later add a person from Canada to this game and uh, currently have a person from Michigan in this game. So it's really awesome that way. Let me continue, though. Sorry, with all these asides, but I just want to explain who Voyas was. Findall learned that his handsome dexterity score is not a defensive factor when spellcasting, and a spear spoiled one of his spells. Many in the party took damage, but they killed a bunch of orcs, thanks in part to Alki's sleep spell, which caused two to fall into their deaths in the water, and Mariella's bow. She scored a nat 20 before Captain Quint hoisted the anchor and had the ship swing into the current. Good thing the party killed those orcs trying to light their fire arrows. <laughs> when the game resumes, the party will have to deal with the aftermath of the attack and the pending terrible weather on its way. Next session. The intrepid party of heroes tried to recover from the early morning attack as Captain Quint and his crew of four guided the boat downriver. The light rain turned into a strong thunderstorm that forced Quint to anchor the boat near the portside shore. Cal wondered why the boat couldn't keep going, and the captain asked Carl if he had any experience piloting a boat in a river. Rocks and such are dangers we don't want to face in a storm, he said. The storm indeed was bad, and soon the river swelled and branches and debris floated past the ship. The party hunkered down in the boat for almost an hour and a half. When the storm passed, they continued onward. 
Carl drank some newly purchased scotch. Findal and Alki worked on their magic and prayers, and the others rested in silence. The crew informed Quint that they were seeing more rocks as the boat entered a particularly twisty part of the river. Quint guessed that they were nearing Mule Station and suggested they anchor there for a bit. The captain checked with Carl just to make sure he, the apparent backseat driver, hey, every party of passengers has one, approved with the plan. As the boat rode the currents to Mule Station, the crew and the heroes saw orcs on the starboard riverbank. They were armed with crossbows and started firing. The crew went into action, with the two elves and the half-elf taking up their bows to return fire. The rest of the party took cover. Two bands of crossbow orcs took turns firing as the boat moved past, and then the party saw the trap that lay ahead. A large mass of orcs with short bows stood around a fire, arrows lit. They started firing at the boat. Two masses of orcs stood on rocks that framed a narrow strait in the river, and the crew shouted that they had a rope extended across. The orcs intended to trap the boat in the narrow. The heroes and captain agreed to run the boat aground on a small beach on the port side and contend with the fewer orcs perched on the rocks there. As all this was going on, one of the boys manning the ship was hit with an arrow and died. The ruckus of the growing battle drew the attention of guards from Mule Station, the only four on duty at the moment, as the others were downstream escorting a, lar a barge and a mule team. They emerged from their building and clashed immediately with the orcs on their side of the river. A fierce battle between the archers on each shore ensued, and eventually all the crew boys were killed. Dayton, Carl, and his bodyguard, Harriet bounded for the buildings to take cover and find ranged weapons. Halfdan and Mariala charged the orcs on the shore and delivered deadly damage. One of the orc lieutenants was killed. Alki used a sleep spell, putting nine orcs on the other riverbank temporarily out of commission. Findal did a great job picking off orcs in a canoe as they rowed their leader, Alphys the half-orc, across the river so he could try to kill the elves. Voyas bravely exposed himself and prayed for healing of Halfdan, who was nearing death. Findal, seeing that Voyas's god didn't like to play in the rain and on the shores of a river, stepped in and asked his god for more healing. Halfdan no longer was on the brink. Voyas, by the way, worshipped the element of fire, which uh, in my game uh, both good and evil characters can worship. The battle was large and chaotic, and as the session came to a close, Alphys stood on a rock near the little beach holding Dwelvebane, a strange orange-glowing longsword, which yelled epithets at the elves in a loud, strange, magical voice. Bark sniffers, short shits, and things like that. The heroes turned their attention to the particularly ugly half-orc with the expletive shouting sword. Voyas took charge of the heroes on the beach and formed up a shield wall. Alki took one more pot shot at Alphys and then fled for the buildings, down as he was to very low health. Miriala ran to the beach and started firing across the river. Carl, after realizing his chance of hitting anything with a crossbow did not weigh did not outweigh his chance of getting hit by incoming missile fire, fled. Captain Quint fled. Was the party destined to be dead? No, as it turned out. 
Findal, Mariala, and the guard peppered Alphys with arrows, bringing the vicious half-orc away way below half-health. Health. When his sword's taunt capability failed to draw Mariala from her perch behind the shield wall, he became flustered and decided Carl had a good idea. Lived to see another day. So he dove into his canoe and started down the river. But Dayton, seeing a clear shot, took it and nearly killed Alphys. The party holed up for the night with the guards of Mule Station. Dayton and Miriala helped find Captain Quint, who had run up into the trees. He asked for one of them to retrieve his case of scotch and sold Dayton a bottle for a silver piece. The next morning, the party set sail. They traveled unmolested for four more days before hearing an eerie song from the heavens that mysteriously charmed the captain, Halfdan, Findel, and Harriow. Since three of those four were steering the boat, they pulled over near the starboard bank. Suddenly, four harpies, terrible half-female, half-vulture creatures, flew from the trees and surrounded the boat. The captain and the others marveled at their bare chests, wanting to cavort with them. Yuck. Carl turned redder than a tomato at the sight of the exposed bosoms, causing Voyus to shake his head. Miriala immediately hated the harpies for exposing themselves to her beloved Alki, who seemed unimpressed with the whole show anyway. Well, a battle ensued. Harpies attacked Carl, Dayton, and Mariala while the fourth kept singing her magical charm. After Dayton, Carl and Mariala suffered damage, and Mariala's armor was damaged to the point it now was one armor class point worse than normal. One of the harpies succeeded in charming Carl and bade him kill his friend, Dayton, which Carl tried to do earnestly. Failing, though, Dayton then conked Carl on the head, intending to knock him out. After two harpies dropped dead, the party focused on the one that charmed Carl. Voyas had enough of their evil ways and bid the Lord of Flames send his servants to the tail feathers of the charmer. She ignited and, like the wick, wicked witch of the West, screamed, I'm burning, I'm burning. Or was she melting? I get confused. The bird turned and darted to the shoreline to put out the flames. Carl was released from the charm, disappointing Dayton, who was looking forward to finishing the knockout. The last harpy gave up and took off. Alki then finished the one on the shoreline with an arrow. The party survived two significant encounters. Next time, Dark Shelf. So that's it for this episode. I have caught uh, us up to December of 2020. And I intend to skip ahead a little bit. We now began to run the series, the Slaver series the original TSR modules, and, and the add-ons that came later, including AO, uh, which it, it takes place in Dark Shelf, uh, and uh, one from, I believe, Dragon or Dungeon Magazine uh, called Lowdown at Highport. So uh, the party was gearing up to become uh, Chainbreakers at this point, and the um, it was the adventure was getting very exciting with new characters coming and going uh, and all kinds of new side adventures like Mule Station and the Battle with the Harpies that I could imagine. So I hope you enjoyed it. And now on to the rest of the show. <laughs> 